Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke. This time, my Radio Great has spent the best part of 50 years in the radio industry. Uh, best way I can describe him is a DJ who has been there since the beginning, working on some of the most recognised stations up and down the country, from Swansea Sound, Chilton, CNFM, and currently with all oldies radio, and I look forward to hearing a bit more about him and his life in this edition. But before I do, let me start by welcoming Phil Fothergill. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much, Luke. Good to talk to you today. And it's good to talk to you, Phil. But half a century in the radio business, how was it you developed the radio bug? Right from an early st- stage, actually, when I was uh, still at school in Brighton, where I was brought up, I um, I was really keen to get into broadcasting, really at that time into television as a, not on screen, but a, as a, a technician, I wanted to be a cameraman. I always fancied the idea of being a TV studio cameraman uh, back there in the in the 60s. And uh, quite fortuitously, um, the BBC set up a local radio station in Brighton, uh, BBC Radio Brighton, as it was called then. And uh, I was able to actually push my foot into the door bit by bit, just doing uh, bits and pieces and freelance work. And eventually they gave me a staff job and I became a BBC staff member. They sent me off uh, to Broadcasting House to do proper production because although they were local radio stations, they felt that everything should sound like Radio 4 on a local basis and everything should be very serious and producers shouldn't play records unless they had to because that's rather embarrassing and you're only doing it to fill in time anyway. So there was all that kind of rather old-fashioned BBC uh, attitude. And uh, and uh, so it was a, a, an interesting time, but we did actually make uh, Radio Brighton sound. We even managed to get jingles on the air with the boss and all that. Well, I did anyway, and, uh, and make it sound a bit lively when we could. Um, I mean, of course, it was ludicrous because BBC Local Radio at that time, you were only allowed to play an hour's records a day and needle time was allocated to one hour. So you had to find all this kind of obscure music from elsewhere, from foreign bands and things like this uh, to get around the uh, around the needle time restrictions. And um, I do actually remember the, the, my favourite memory from those days was the boss say, well, you seem to be very into all this popular music stuff like they have on Radio 1, Phil, because he thought that was the only pop music station that existed uh and he said um kenny everett's just been fired from radio one bbc radio bristol are using him on a show they've jumped in there very shrewdly uh and uh, the program or the manager manager there was david wayne who used to be the program organizer in brighton uh so he said i think you know as t- as Mr. Everett lives just up the road from uh, Brighton, which he did, um, we should get him. You should. You could go and produce his program and see if he can do it. I think he was paid something like a tenner a show. <laughs> well, we are talking about nineteen. 19- 70 i should think and um so i'd have to go up to everett uh up to his uh farm that he had there live with his wife in this farm and two wild dogs uh and uh, collect the show yeah but of course it was never ready so you'd say to kenny um i've come to collect your radio brighton program sir and he'd say oh oh he's forgotten all about that just uh, just sit down there and i'll do it and of course, there you were. There was I, as an eighteen-year-old, thinking, "Oh my God, I'm with this 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 wonderful, wonderful broadcaster, Kenny Everett, watching him produce the program." You know, uh, uh, which was just an incredible experience. Um, but he, he also had this wonderful. Well, actually, his wife uh, Lee had this wonderful sense of humour too. I can always remember once. Uh, Everett was walking around the garden in his dressing gown, and not much else. I don't think uh, he hadn't got ready for the day, and he had this huge dog, Great Dane. And uh, and uh, he suddenly realised the dog had got a pheasant in its mouth. 
And he shouted across to his wife, Lee. He said, Lee, love, look, Bosie's caught a pheasant. Whereupon she turned around and said, that's great, love. It's a shame it wasn't a cow. We've got friends to tea tonight. Uh, so so she obviously had a pretty good sense of humour as well. Um, but that was it was a great honour to be able to, to, of course, I didn't produce Kenny Everett. He put the show together and I just collected the tape uh, like a courier, really, you know. But that that was uh, that was my memories of Brighton, you know. Kenny Everett, I mean, what a god! Because everyone I've spoken to has always got a Kenny story. And, <laughs> um, but uh, am I right in thinking when you say about BBC local radio at this at this stage in your life, it was only just beginning? It's yeah, it started. Uh, I think the first station was BBC Radio Leicester, uh, and uh, that was in 1967. Uh, uh, Radio Brighton was the fourth station to come online, and that was in 1968. And the funny thing is, of course, it was all uh, only on what they called VHF, never said FM in those days, you weren't allowed to say that. Uh, And they spent their whole time uh, thinking how wonderful it would be to go on medium wave. Uh, And of course, uh, the the authorities said, oh, no, there's no, no, absolutely no room at all. You can't just start squashing medium wave signals anywhere. What do you think this is? You know, Uh, and of course, no one was listening on FM or VHF because not not very many people have VHF radios. And I think the transmission of Radio Brighton was on 88.1 initially, and that was down where all the taxis are. So I used to get my programme interrupted by, oh, I think you need to pick us up at uh, the Palace Pier. Uh, we need to pick up there, three people waiting all over my show. Um, but, um, of course, that improved as time went on. And we did get uh, medium wave in the end and, uh, and thought that was wonderful. But, of course, now, of course, it, after that, we all wanted to be on FM again. And DAB. Can I have a show? Take one. Um, um, one, two, three. Radio Bristol is quite conceivably the greatest radio station in the world. That was a cuddly can jingle. Radio. So it's September of 1974 that um, the ILR, uh, well, the ILR in 73 begin the rollout of local radio stations. And in 74, uh, your big break comes with. Um, just down the road from where I am with Swansea Sounds. So how was it the Swansea Sound gig came about? It kind of ties in with the BBC local radio because uh, the uh, the programme controller for Swansea Sound was a, a gentleman called Colin Mason, someone I've worked with ever since uh, for many, many years. Uh, we had great respect for each other. Uh, and he actually, having worked in America uh, back in, in the 60s, had really learned a lot about local top 40 radio, music radio. Uh, and uh, I can remember through the ether, through the interference, hearing Colin doing a pretty lively drive program on BBC Radio Bristol. And uh, I thought, wow, that sounds fantastic. Doesn't sound like BBC local radio at all. Uh, and I'd written to him and said, oh, I listened to your show. I think it's great and all the rest of it. Not knowing that he was going to become uh, leave the BBC and go to commercial radio in Swansea and uh, set up the station there. And, of course, he wrote to me and said, would you be interested in applying for a job? And uh, I said, yes. I went down to see him. And I always remember getting off the train in Swansea and the rain was bucketing down. I thought, oh, this is it. This is Wales for you. This is nice, isn't it? You know, lots of rain everywhere. Nice stuff. You know? um, and, uh, and I thought, no. I'm not going to work here. Can't work here. But I did. I was I, I was glad to say that I did. It was a great experience. I started off being a senior producer because of my BBC background, uh, producing the other DJs, actually, people like um, 
Oh, I'm trying to think of some names now, actually. Uh, Adrian, Adrian Jay was uh, one who was quite a personality doing the drive program, uh, and he was as good. And um, uh, and then we had some pirate DJs from the ships. And uh, uh, then also, um, uh, after a while, the, the breakfast presenter, extremely good, went to live in Canada. And so Colin Mason said to me, would you like uh, to do the breakfast show? I said, what, you mean getting up at 5.30 every morning? Not really, no. Um, but, of course, it was the prime spot, and uh, I, I enjoyed that. In fact, I, I used to get in there very early. I'd kind of you know, get into the studio about 5. We weren't licensed to go on the air till 6 o'clock in those days, just 12 hours, 6 till midnight. Uh, well, it's more than 12 hours, about 18 hours. And um, I... Uh, and I started putting on albums, just letting like it like it was a test transmission, you know, starting a bit early, even though we shouldn't do, uh, and then calling it my early riser club. And this got a massive following. All these uh, all these uh, local people in Swazi saying, "Oh, it's nice to hear you early in the morning," and that, you know. And I hear you speaking Welsh sometimes, not very good, you know, but not bad for an Englishman, really, you know. Uh, and I I did I remember, I remember I learned to say. Uh, uh, they opened the station in the morning. Borada Ikigit, Demar Swansea Sound, that day pimp site meta, two five seven meters. And now they pimp pointing VHF. I'm sure that's totally wrong. And if you're Welsh, you'll be disgusted. But it's only because I can. I'm doing it from memory now. Uh, but anyway, I, so I uh, so I did the breakfast show there for quite a few years, and uh, that was a great uh, station to work for. Fantastic audience figures. I mean. Because there was very few local radio stations, commercial local radio stations in the UK, and certainly not in Swansea. I mean, there was just regional radio from Cardiff. And so uh, I can remember driving around Swansea before the station came on the air, listening to Tony Blackburn on Radio 1 in London and saying, oh, it's really super day here in you know, London, really great time. And I'm thinking... You do not know you're so many hundreds of miles away from Swansea, other side of Cardiff. It's quite a fair drive, you know. Uh, and I thought, we can't go wrong. Suddenly, people are going to have a radio station for them rather than something coming from London. Uh, and uh, it was the case. And the first survey, which wasn't very scientific, I don't think, but it was something like a 69% rating. I mean, now radio stations are happy if they get about 5 or 6%, let alone 69 but it was massive. And then the figures for an official review were a bit lower than that, but still fantastically high, way over 50%. Uh, so it was hugely successful. Uh, right at the time of a, a, a huge dip in the economy, it was a very bad time uh, then. Uh, and so to sell advertising was a bit of a nightmare anyway. But hey, it survived and, and did pretty well. Ah, dear. Keep forgetting to plug the machine in. Uh, this little card in front of me here says, please pay a request between 8 and 10 for Diane and John who are getting married today, Saturday the 21st of December. I thank my mother and father for everything they've done for her. This comes with lots of love from Mum, Dad, Linda, Margaret, Trevor, Jackie, Julie, Anthony and Tina and also Jackie and Ken who sent the card from 10 Gar Terrace in May Hill. OK, lots of luck to Diane and John. Hope it goes well for you. And also a nice uh, letter here, which comes from 42 Prescassi Road in Penlan. And it says, Dear Phil, please will you play a record for my daddy, who has a birthday on the 21st of December. He's 21 again, question mark. Mummy helped you write this, didn't she? I can tell. <laughs> Send him all our love from twins Angela and Gaynor, and also Neil as well. So happy birthday, Dad. Uh, I don't know what your surname is, but Dad knows who he is at 42 Prescassi Road in Penlan. Many, many happy turns for you. 21, eh? I've heard that before. My parents always say that as well. I don't believe a word of it. We go back in time. Every third record, a golden goodie. Remember this one, which comes from, um... Wonderful world, beautiful people. 
See, I've forgotten already. Well, four years um, with Swansea Sound, what was your highlight with them? Oh, gosh. Um, difficult question, that, really. I think um, it, it was, despite the fact it was a remote place from London, uh, I met so many really famous names because what happened was I was doing the breakfast show and it was four hours from six until ten. And the last hour, we kind of give over to any any features or interviews. And um, the Grand Theatre in Swansea used to uh, have many famous acts coming to it. Uh, so it was great that, you know, you could actually uh, arrange with the with the local agents or with the, the, the theatre to bring in quite well-known people, you know, people like, uh, um, uh, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of uh, some, Tommy Cooper and, and, and all those very famous comedians from that time who did shows. And the, the most memorable of those, actually, was, uh, was Warren Mitchell, who at that time had been doing Till Death Us Depart uh, on television and then went on a tour doing a kind of a stand-up job of actually being Alf Garnet and saying, ah, you know, the old, the, the old girl in door drives me mad. She's a stupid old cow and things like that, you know, like he always did. Um, and uh, he was telling me this uh, in the interview and said, uh, and so, and he spoke extremely well. He didn't speak like that at all. You know, he said, um, the only thing was that actually I said that last night about the wife being a stupid old so-and-so. And uh, some chap got out of the audience, came up on stage and punched me right in the face. And I, I nearly, I nearly was knocked out. And I thought, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is a story. This is an incredible, and he hadn't told anybody else until he told me this on the radio. And, um, so basically, uh, uh, I came out of the studio at the end, and so did he with, me, with him. And, uh, and uh, the receptionist said, uh, Phil, there's uh, a local stringer from the Daily Express and someone from the Daily Mail would like to have a talk to uh, Warren Mitchell, if that's possible, about being punched in the face on the theatre. So, uh, so um, that, was, that was quite amazing because good national news story. Well, it's a song all about a lady called Angie Baby and the lyrics are really interesting. If you fail to listen to them that time, listen next time. It's uh, just coming up now to a minute to nine o'clock. Hey, why not head on down to the Alamo? A Western-style fashion shop, new to Mumbles and the first in Wales. Cowboy boots, jeans, Mexican bags, shades of the Wild West. At the Alamo Corner, Newton Road, Mumbles. Well, 78 arrives and um, you leave Swansea Sound uh, for other opportunities was it um was it tough to say goodbye to um yeah it was i got the opportunity in fact and it was tied in with colin again that i mentioned earlier on because uh he worked in east texas and he got very friendly with a, a, a chap called dick forrester who was one of my best friends became one of my best friends i didn't even know him at that time and he saw oh, you know no problem phil i can get you a job uh, working on my small station in east texas at knet in palestine and i said oh right that's fantastic and i said to colin oh difficult decision here should i go to america and do this uh, uh or should i stay here and he you know he would have been his preference i'm sure given that the audience figures for my show were quite good uh to keep me but he was very honourable and said, well, you need to write a list of all the do's and don'ts and the pluses and the minuses and see what you come up with. And, of course, the biggest minus, which I can say now, was that I would not have had a work permit and did not have a work permit. Uh, and uh, when I arrived in Dallas-Fort Worth and Richard Dick Forrester collected me at the airport, 
he said, just to say to you there, Phil, it's real great to have you here. You're going to have a great old time. Uh, but the radio station I work for, KLIS, says, no, we're not going to employ you now, uh, mainly because you don't have a work permit. And I thought, I've just traveled across the Atlantic. <laughs> he now tells me that uh, I, I haven't got a job. Don't you worry, so I'll get you into the country and western station. Yeehaw. And I thought, oh, right. Um, country and western, eh? And uh, uh, But he did, and I worked illegally. And I can always remember, actually, the afternoon jock at the radio station was actually a highway patrolman. So he'd come in to the studio in the afternoon in uniform with gun, of course. Uh, and I always remember saying to him once, so how are you all doing there, Phil? It's all going all right for you? And I said, yes, thank you. Yes, it's a very nice thing. Thinking, what's he going to say next? And he said, just want you to know that we're real happy to have you here. And we don't worry a whole bunch about people coming from the United Kingdom. What we worry about is the people coming across the border from Mexico. <laughs> it was almost like he was saying, I know that you're working illegally, but uh, I'm turning a blind eye to that. <clears throat> so that was, a, that was a, a relief, actually. So I did that for about a year. Uh, and it was a great experience and uh, lovely people. Great times. I think it's the only time I've really been famous because wherever I went, it was quite a small town. Uh, it was a, they called it a city. But, uh, because as soon as you say, uh, you know, I, how do you do? Nice to meet you. They'd say, you're the guy on the radio, aren't you? You're the English guy. I recognize by your voice. I want you to know that I listen to you every day. Don't understand a damn word you say, boy, but it sure sounds pretty. <laughs> and I had that in the future. One comes along, and uh, the ILR are rolling out their second stages of local radio. And um, you are um, part of the birth of 97.6 Chilton FM. Mm, it's 97.5 to correct you, actually, in those days, uh, which was uh, the only reason I mentioned it, not to pull you up, is just because that was the frequency that the IBA allocated to us. And uh, of course, it was 97.5 LBC in London, the news talk station was 97.3 so the two were inevitably going to interfere with each other across the the southern hearts parts of Hertfordshire like Hemel Hempstead St Albans Watford precisely their plan so that you couldn't go too far and be heard by too many people and it was thanks to Colin Mason's huge campaign against uh, the radio authority well it wasn't it was the IBA then so no it's ridiculous you, know, you can't have interference and and finally they did so oh well well probably we can move it up to 97.6 then if you must and of course that improved the situation a lot better uh, and so we were relieved to get the change of frequency but there were several other frequencies as well I mean there was a uh, two FM frequencies and two medium wave frequencies uh, and and uh, so, so yes, and the Chiltern was, I think it had a reputation. I mean, I was program controller. Colin Mason was chief executive, managing director. And uh, between us, because we loved American Top 40 radio, we managed to sound, get the station as tight sounding as we possibly could, given all the restrictions on what we were supposed to do to have a license. I mean, getting 
getting the license, uh, I was actually part of the the application program. I wrote a lot of the programming plans in association with Colin. Colin wrote a lot of the business plans. Uh, and, uh, of course, the IBA uh, and the suit at what was the IBA then would actually go through this huge document, which looked like a massive Bible, to see you know what you proposed to do and what they were really concerned about, which were going to be serious, do proper documentaries and features and specialist programmes, which, of course, all in the evening because you wanted to keep the music going in the daytime. And it was just, and I can remember going to so many of these meetings, uh, they, there was an official interview to get the licence. And we were, I think there was about four or five of us from the company, the chief executive, me, financial controller, chief engineer, and we all had to face what looked like about, I think, 15 IBA members, both from London and also from the region, the East of England region in Norwich. And they all, you know, kind of asked you these penetrating questions. And you th- anybody think, actually, <laughs> that you were going for the job of prime minister? Not that that's necessarily credible these days. But I, I think uh, certainly uh, that was uh, the feeling you had. Uh, and I can remember after numerous meetings uh, with one senior guy, who shall be nameless, uh, talking about um, what we can put in the programmes, etc. I said, well, you know, we've had now five meetings and I just think uh, that we're getting there. What do you reckon? Let's just say we're getting there. I don't quite know how long it's going to take. And I thought, good grief, you know. Uh, I mean, it was, and we were really, you know, Colin and I and a lot of our team were very experienced professionals. I don't know why they made so much fuss. But, of course, the worst thing was, despite the fact we were in Hearts, Beds and Bucks, which is the area that Children Radio covered, uh, they could hear it in London on that transmitter I was talking to you about when they changed the frequency. They were able to listen to us better in London, and it horrified me. They put a huge aerial up just so they could check what we were doing because they couldn't do that with all the other stations because there was no online then, there was no online feeds or anything. So the only way they could hear you was by going to the region to hear it. I do remember I was joking with you about the, the IBA monitoring us, and, of course, we had all these specialist programmes we had to do in the evening. Uh, like, you know, a, a program for Asians, a program for West Indians and so on. And also a program for Italians, because Bedford, I don't know if you know this, Bedford, actually, one of the main towns within the area, has one of the biggest Italian communities outside of London in the UK. It's a historic thing, uh, because they all came after World War II to work in the brickworks. And um, so we had an Italian program. And uh, it was uh, it was every every week just a you know a, a series of uh, Italian music and Italian presenters, and there was two or three of them you know all getting getting it together to do this show, and one day the IBA rang me up and said, "Have you been listening, by the way, to the Italian program?" And I said, uh, "Well, I do actually listen to it, but of course I don't understand a word they're saying." And, no, no, you probably don't understand a word they're saying. However, we got an Italian speaker in and they did understand everything they were saying. And do you know that in between the main commercial breaks, they run their own commercials, uh, self-read commercials, and obviously are taking a rake off financially and privately. <laughs> so they were doing their own little business operation, you know, which is a, uh, <clears throat> which was quite a, a amusing thing to talk about now. But at the time, the chief executive was not amused. I've got to ask with uh, Chilton, October the 15th, Dunstable says hello um, to Chilton. And what was your memory of that launch day? Oh, 
I'd rather not talk about it, actually, because as the programme controller, I thought I'm ever so important. I will actually uh, play in the first tape, which, of course, was a recording from the chairman uh, welcoming new listeners uh, to Chortle Radio at 6 a.m. in the morning. God knows why we started at that time. I'm sure no one else bothered to tune in. Uh, and uh, and I said, I will run that tape. And then, obviously, that tape will end perfectly, and then it will go into the IRN News, which was network from London exactly at 6 a.m., except I mistimed it and put it, uh, put it uh, a minute late. So, of course, we wouldn't have got the IRN News. However, we had this wonderful local guy uh, who actually uh, uh, read the news as if he was a Radio 4 person. He was just wonderful. Uh, uh, sadly, I lost touch with him. Uh, but he, I said, I will come straight to you out of this uh, announcement. And so, of course, he said, a very good morning to you, Children Radio. And we start today with local news, as if to say it was all planned, you know, that we're going to run local news first rather than national news. So it all went very, very smoothly, thanks to him. No It's Thursday, the 15th of October, 1981, and your new local radio station is born. Chiltern Radio, serving Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire, and Buckinghamshire. We broadcast on 362 metres medium wave, that's 8 to 8 kilohertz, and in stereo on 97.5 megahertz VHF. We hope that you will get much pleasure and enjoyment from the programmes we have prepared for you. The chairman of Chiltern Radio is Peter Burton. Good morning. The opening of our own local radio station is a momentous occasion for those of us who live in hearts, beds and in neighbouring areas. For the first time in our history, we shall have an entertainment, news and information service wholly devoted to the needs of people in our region. We can hear about each other rather than about events in London that many of us relate to little or not at all. And by hearing about each other, I hope we shall learn about each other experience increasing enjoyment of the region in which we live and develop a much greater sense of our own identity. Well, as, um, as programme controller, you were responsible as well for the birth of several well-established DJs, including Paul McKenna, uh, Tony Lloyd, um, Martin Collins. And am I right in thinking um, Carl Ems was another one? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've been researching nicely. Yes, it's true. And uh, well, I've got, I've got to ask with with some of the names I've mentioned, did, was there ever a signing you were proud of? Well, I suppose Paul McKenna was the most, uh, and we still are good friends. We see each other quite often and uh, have lunch together, and, and just he just loves to talk, loves to anorak, as we call it in the business, and uh, talk about radio. It's like a kind of a radio train spotter, you know. Uh, and he'd just uh, he'd just go on for ages talking about the old days, uh, and uh, yeah, that that was probably, I mean, because. I always remember him saying to me, because he was a very successful person already, actually, he was doing a lot of uh, hypnotism work and presentation work and, and stand-up hypnotist shows and things. And um, he said to me one day, we were driving to an outside broadcast, I think it was the Pancake Race in Olney, which is famous for it. It's a place, Olney is near, actually, near Milton Keynes. And uh, he said, uh, Philip, I, I, you know, I really think, actually, that um, I can't possibly do this job any longer unless you give me a pay rise. <laughs> I could remember saying to him, how long have you been with us now, Paul? Uh, uh, at least six months. How, how are the audience figures? Have we got the audience figures yet? Because they come out every year, don't they? Yeah. I said, well, they haven't published the audience figures. Why would I give you a pay rise? Your audience figures might be absolute rubbish. Uh, oh, all right. Well, fair enough then. 
And so he kind of accepted that. Uh, and I think, you know, his audience figures were very good when they came out. So, of course, I did have to review salaries. But he had this, because he actually had this hypnotist ability, uh, it was kind of scary because he'd come into the office, you know, look straight into the eyes, you know, look into my eyes, not around them, but into my eyes, and say, I think, Phil, the time has come to do another review on my salary. And I try not to look him in the eye at all, because I thought if I if I go under, I shall actually say, yeah, no problem. What do you want? Another 15,000 a year. Um, <laughs> so I didn't do it. Uh, but of course, then, and then, 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 you know, about 15 minutes later, the door would fly open into my office and it would be the chief executive, Colin, Colin Mason, saying, have you been talking to that Paul McKenna? Well, he did try and ask me for some more money, but I don't think I... He bore down on me. He tried to look into my eyes and tried to convince me to give him a pay rise. <clears throat> Uh, true story, and if Paul was here, he'd actually tell you that is very, very, very correct. A21 with Julian Cope and World Shut Your Mouth. I think it's about time we check, see if we have some winners on our Wildcats competition, you know, that AMC Wildcats competition. Well, Steve Peters, he's on the line from Luton. Morning to you, Steve. Good morning. How you doing? Not too bad at all. You're a bit of an American football fan. Well, we watch it every Sunday night. All right. Well, the LA team, who are they? They're the Raiders or the Rams. Yes, the LA Raiders. That's what the uh, answer is that I have here. Let's talk to Veronica Watson in Dunstable. Hi, Veronica. Hi. Now, who do you think the Chicago team is? The Chicago Bears. Yes, the Chicago Bears. And Jill Carpenter, she's in Bedford. Morning, Jill. Good morning. How's the weather in Bedford? Bedford this morning. Uh, a bit overcast. Is it? Yeah, it's yes. a little bit overcast here in Dunstable as well. It's going to get worse though later, so enjoy it while it's like this. Who are the team from New York? Uh, they're the Giants from the Jets. Yes, the, the New York Giants. And what about the team from Dallas? Ashley Rowland in Letchworth. What do you reckon? I reckon it's, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys. Well, can I just tell you, Stephen, Veronica, Jill and Ashley, you're all winners! Hey! Yeah! That's right. Thanks very much for playing and we'll be sending you those American football sweatshirts in the post. Have a good day now. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 8.22 on the winning station. So, eight years with Chiltern, what was your highlight? Um, well, I think actually it was, you know, nurturing some of those presenters you made, the name, you actually gave the list out a moment ago uh, and, uh, you know, gave them in some cases their first break uh, and have all gone on, a lot of them have gone on to, you know, very successful jobs and that kind of makes you proud really. Uh, and they're all much more successful and make much more money than I do. <laughs> um, but then that's, that's what it's all about really is actually just helping people. Uh, and, uh, and we, we, you know, I think making the station uh, as the years went on, we got it pretty tight sounding. The IBA became less restrictive. Uh, and, uh, and it was a, a pretty, and most of the people outside of the station who I've now spoken to over the years have said, wow, you know, everyone thought Chiltern radio was a really hard tough sounding station it sounded almost like a london station even though you were outside of london and we got american jingles i went to dallas to record the jingles and we managed to find a loophole in the musicians union regulations to do that uh and uh and it was just fantastic and um so we kind of had a pretty and i think a lot most of the presenters uh if you talk to them today would say yeah we were really proud to be there it was a great experience and indeed it must be true because we have reunions we had one recently actually which i i organized uh, here in in, in bedfordshire and uh, and huge numbers of people turned up and said all these wonderful things patting each other on the back and saying what a great time it was so i think it was the best music 97
Well, leaving Chilton in 88, um, you start a career as a TV announcer across Anglia. Um, but in 1989, you're back on the radio yet again with another station in the form of CNFM. Yeah, well, CNFM was based in Cambridge. Uh, it was part of the Heroid Group. Uh, you know, the Heroid Radio is based in Peterborough, and then they operated this additional station in in, in Cambridge, and uh, as it was called then, CNFM. And I and I was only there doing weekends because uh, I had to keep driving from Bedfordshire, where I still lived, up to Norwich, uh, which is a rotten drive. It was then. It's a bit better now. There's a dual carriageway all the way, but it was a long old drive. So I used to think. Well, I've got to go right past CNFM in Cambridge, <laughs> so I could uh, do a program there. And the uh, uh, the situation was, I just do a weekend shows, uh, and that just kept my uh, uh, my uh, finger on the radio pulse because I did, you know, I love radio more than television. I mean, I really learned a lot about TV, both as an announcer than as a producer for trailers and promos. That everything you want to do uh, on a TV on the TV is a major job. I mean, you know, if you actually want to say, well, I, I think what we'll do is we'll actually have uh, the uh, the fire brigade coming in and uh, stopping the fire uh, by putting the fire out of the bells going and things like that. Well, if you're going to do that on TV, you know, you've got to negotiate with the local fire brigade uh, and create special props and, and special effects, you know, uh, and it is a mammoth task and costs thousands. Uh, radio, you just go into the studio with a pile of, we're talking sound effects records in those days, uh, you know, actually discs and saying, okay, well, I've got my fire brigade here and I've got, uh, I've got, uh, I've got some sound effects here, got some music here. I just put that together myself. I've written the script and I put it together and you can do it all hopefully in about half an hour and it would sound fantastic. <laughs> and that, that's because that, that's, that's really what you, you, you've done because you, we'll come on to all oldies radio in a bit, but in a lot of shows with that, it's, uh, and it works really, really well. Um, but um, with um, with C- CNFM, and we mentioned with Chilton working with Paul McKenna, he would later go on um, to host um, shows on Radio 1. Uh, but while you were working at CNFM, you also worked with another Radio 1 jock, that being Dixie Peach. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 He was, uh, I didn't, I mean, because I was only there weekends, I didn't get to know him that well, but yeah, certainly he was uh, one of the characters on, on air at that time on CNFM. Uh, and they, they, the, one of the things they actually had was uh, that they really uh, um, did a lot of uh, work in producing an automated, a semi-automated system, you know, with a, with a, a music jukebox uh, of, uh, of CDs, because we still weren't into computer uh, programming at that time with the uh, computer-based music. And uh, so, so it, it, it actually, uh, you could actually select the stuff off a computer screen and it would play it remotely. And that was kind of something I had not experienced before. I was, I was just getting over not playing 45s and beginning to play uh, CDs, you know, children radio. Uh, but this system actually was was quite uh, quite high end, so that was good. And yeah, and and uh, there was a, and there was a the, the program controller. I can't remember his name. Terrible. Uh, sorry about that. But he was uh, he was actually originally from Hong Kong, and uh, that was it was fascinating because he'd had a, a quite an interesting career running uh, top forty radio in what was then British Hong Kong as opposed to Chinese Hong Kong. Yeah. 
Lewis and the news, the power of love and power on. This is CNFM 103, the brand new sound of stereo radio in Cambridge. I'm Dixie Peach. And I'm Phil Fothergill. And over the next 55 minutes, we'll be introducing you to your brand new radio station. Yes, CNFM 103 is coming to you live from the heart of Cambridge from the latest high technology studios in the Vision Park. 24 hours of every day from now on, we'll be serving you with the very best in radio. You'll hear the music of the past 30 years only in digital stereo on compact disc and digital audio tape and of course stay in touch with your community with the most up-to-date news and information service available to bring you the best cnfm 103 has assembled a top lineup of local and national personalities and throughout today you'll meet them and hear how and when they'll be hitting the airwaves at 11 today david hamilton and bungalow bill wiggins host a special edition of the sunday solid gold music show at one meet mike souser and john richards and from three nino and mark simpson are at the controls and they'll all be joined by surprise guests from the world of show business, entertainment and the CNFM area. Well, after CNFM, you continued um, your broadcasting career maintaining a television status, as we mentioned, with Anglia um, Mm. as continuity announcer and have also um, been involved with several other uh, television businesses. But um, in recent years, you have been... uh, back with a fantastic little station called All Oldies Radio. So I I, I mean, I listened to All Oldies religiously. How did All Oldies happen? Well, that's the the brainchild of a gentleman called Russ D. And he set it up. uh, Actually, he's based on the South Coast uh, a lot of the time uh, when he's not on the radio here. And uh, he actually uh, masterminded this operation completely at that time, automated, uh, running pre-recorded shows uh, with automated systems, which had become very uh, sophisticated in recent years. Uh, and uh, so so that was how I got involved, because, uh, in fact, someone who works on the station, uh, Paul Gray, he's actually does the sole program on All Oldies Radio. And he lives down the road from me in Fittig in Bedfordshire. She's in central Bedfordshire. Uh, and he said, well, I think, you know, this guy, Phil Fothergill, because uh, I'd worked at MKFM. In, in Milton Keynes, give a clue is in the name, MK, uh, and I'd done some work there, and that's where Paul had worked. Because a lot of the the, um, the, the small stations here I, I'd done some time on, uh, Biggles Way, Biggles FM, as it was called, Black Cat Roundup Radio in, in near St. Neards, uh, and MKFM, which I, I did quite a lot of work for, and was chairman of that company, actually, uh, for a while. Um, so so that was quite quite an interesting job, and a very successful station it is, too. A very youth-orientated, much of a, a much younger sound, because... Milton Keynes is a, a very young town, and uh, anyway, so uh, so Paul suggested that uh, I contact Rusty, and that's the, that's how it all happened, really. Uh, but but now, I mean, we started just broadcasting online, covering the world, as it were. You know, tomorrow's a very would be ours, and. Um, uh, and it was sort of, but uh, we realised that to actually be successful with advertising, online radio is very difficult. Just to broadcast online, you have to hope that people find you and all the rest of it. So we actually uh, sought a license, a digital license, DAB, uh, uh, and uh, for the 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 area that I kind of grew up with, Hearts, Beds, and Bucks. Um, and so, ironically, I've ended up uh, working locally again 
because I still live locally anyway. Uh, and uh, we cover the Hearts, Beds and Bucks area. It's about, I suppose, two million plus and a uh, potential audience. Uh, and we can we go into London, to North London quite well as well. It's a pretty good uh, network of DAB transmitters uh, that, that uh, carry our service. And so, so we're back on local radio again. And the interesting thing is actually, Luke, that despite the fact that we try and be very local and talk about uh, what's going on in the area, local news, of course, and things like that, that all those people that found us originally still listen to us, even though they're probably thousands of miles away, you know, and they haven't the faintest where Luton is or Bedford or anything like that, and neither do they care. And they just like the music. I mean, we kind of, the music is what we call Generation X. So we're aiming at uh, that, that audience, which is now round about the 50s, aged, aged about 50 or maybe a bit under. So music mainly from the 70s, 80s, uh, into the 90s, uh, and certainly some from the 60s as well, because it is oldies, of course. Everyone makes the joke, oh, you work for all oldies radio. That's very appropriate for you, Phil, isn't it? Because you're very oldie yourself, aren't you? Um, but it's meant to be a reference to the music rather than the presenters. <laughs> I'm Russ D. Hello, hearts, beds and bucks. Hello, I'm Phil Fothergill, chairman of All Oldies Radio. It's a pleasure and an honour to welcome you to this new service for hearts, beds and bucks on DAB Digital Radio. Most of the team here work and live in the area and know the region as well as the back of their hands. You'll recognise the voices from previous radio stations and regional television. At one time, there were a number of these fine stations in the Hearts, Beds and Bucks area, many of which were taken over by powerful national corporate radio services, with most of their programmes coming from London. Now we have once again a truly local commercial radio station serving local advertisers and, of course, you, the listener. Our exciting music content is exclusively for you, the Generation Xers, those who want the hits from our formative years in the 70s to the early 90s, your classic hits. This is All Oldies Radio, for beds, hearts and bucks. Welcome. Thanks, Phil. Let's get this show on the road. First song, anyone? In the years of radio broadcasting and also management, um, what advice would you give to anyone who's trying to make it into the radio business? Well, as a broadcaster or any kind of job. Well, well, and and well, I'd probably say as a radio broadcaster, but yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I think uh, you know that. I don't think things have changed very much, actually. I mean, the, the first thing is to make sure that you do have a good recording of your one of your shows, two or three of your shows, which are representative of what you do, with all the music cut out, of course, and edited and neat. It amazes me how I still get you know bits and pieces from people, and people saying, oh, yeah, well, you can listen to me on uh, KGYCD. Uh, I'm actually there tonight at uh, 10 o'clock. And I'm thinking, no, 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 you, if you want to come and work for me, you need to make some effort, you know. Uh, and, but but, but people don't because it's so convenient to listen online and actually that is quite useful i wish i'd have had that when i was program controller at children radio i used to say to the boss right i'm off for a few days now to go see if i can headhunt 
for some good presenters up and down the nation. And he literally had to go because it's the only way you could hear the station was actually by by uh, going to the area they were broadcasting in. But um, so I think uh, I think you know that's the most important thing is to actually give a good presentation and a good representation of what you do. Uh, obviously, um, listen to other people. If you think I really like to be on radio, but you don't take it that seriously, you think oh, it's quite fancy doing it. That's not enough. You can't just fancy doing it. You actually have to really want to do it and really enjoy it. And of course, then to communicate, because it's often the biggest problem when you get anybody new who hasn't done it before. They find it pretty hard uh, that they're trying to sound like a rocky jockey or whatever, um, but they're not really talking to to the people. In fact, some there is a big habit at the moment. It seems to be more now than ever before of people shouting. They kind of, you know, yeah, you're listening to my station because I'm a superstar, and you think, no, you're just talking to one person. You know, I mean, you're hopefully talking to thousands, but um, you'd have to, it's the oldest thing in the book, you know, just one person, just imagine one person and talk and be friendly and intimate and chatty, hopefully a bit of a personality, because there is a kind of a division between those people who do really slick, fast radio programs, pretty good, sound great, really, really good. And those who communicate more, sometimes like me, we talk too much, <coughs> excuse me, uh, we talk too much. Um, but if you're entertaining and are saying something a bit funny and try and, and try and be a bit more humorous, uh, then it's really good. And I think my only other final comment on that would be is if you want to be successful, sound like you're having fun, that you're really enjoying yourself, even if you're not, even if you're hungover and you're fed up, you know, you just sound like you're smiling. Well, I've, I have to ask, uh, Phil, who was your radio great? Oh, well, as a broadcaster, um, well, Everett, without, Everett without doubt, because he was so innovative and clever uh, and creative and, and went on to do the same in TV, which always amazed me that he could do that. Um, and I think uh, as regards other people, it would be some of the great, you know, uh, American jocks from the 60s and 70s, people like Rick Dees, uh, who was on Los Angeles, uh, and, and, and people like that who were just absolutely amazing and in fact there's a lot of youtube vintage youtube videos of some of these great names actually in the studio and just to watch them working so fast so slick but so entertaining but not saying very much often but it was just great stuff well phil fothergill thank you ever so much for participating in this edition of radio great be great talking to you luke thank you so much for giving me the time george harrison all those years ago i hope times were better than they have been the last year or so in fact i think netflix is even showing a film saying goodbye to 2021 it's a bit ruder than that but i think it's a spoof mockumentary they call it anyway it's time for another of our father's teasers uh, this is where i give you a ridiculously silly question and you have to come up with an answer not because you get anything for it, except a name check on the air, which, which is fair enough, isn't it? Okay, here's the question. When you need me, you throw me away. But when you are done with me, you bring me back. What am I? Mm-hmm. When you need me, you throw me away. But when you are done with me, you bring me back. What am I? If you know the answer to that, go to hello at alloldiesradio.com and I'll give the answer round about uh, oh, half an hour from now. Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke.